0: All right. Uh, welcome to the Apex Vaulting podcast. Uh, this is episode 19. i um, really excited to do this podcast. I've got two great guests with me, uh, Billy Frederick Hello. and Craig Van Leeuwen. For those of you that don't know, Billy Frederick is actually the inspiration for this podcast. Me and Billy used to talk about Joe Rogan experience all the time and certain other podcasts. And he was like, dude, there's no pole vault podcasts out there. And at the time, there weren't. Um I think there's like maybe one or two others right now. I don't know them offhand. Yeah, I can't think um, of I, I think Essex does one. Uh, but there there's really not a lot out there and not a lot that delves deep into some of the issues that we've covered in some of the podcasts so far. I mean, we've had Katerina Stefanidian, who's an Olympic champion, and we've talked technique and just the, the state of the sport with her. We've had other club coaches on who've talked about maybe more of the business end of how to run things in a club. And we've had just, you know, general conversation like Andrew Flores has been a kind of staple guest. And we've got great feedback from the Andrew Flores podcast where we're just talking about what it's like to start out coaching and going through that that whole evolution as a coach. So, you know, wanted to have Billy Frederick on, kind of talk about the inspiration between the podcasts, and then Craig Van Leeuwen is here with us. Craig uh, is a Division Three national champion. His PR is 17, eight and a half. Um, you're now 30 years old. Yeah, Craig just turned 30. Let me tell you, I'm 36. The 30s are the best decade yet. I, I'm loving it, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to love every decade as we go along, because I, I, I'm all about growth and evolution, and every day I'm trying to better myself. Um, Craig won the Division three national championship in 2011, and then the year uh, year after is when he jumped 17 eight and a half. Still jumping. He also has a beautiful baby girl, right? So, you know, I'm sure that will come up in in today's podcast. But Billy, I want to start with you. Like, why don't you talk about like what made what made you really want to do the podcast?
1: The podcast kind of started as an idea of, like, I was listening to, like, the Joe Rogan podcast a lot. I was, like, shopping around, just finding stuff to listen to. I'm not a big TV guy. I felt I kind of fell off TV, and Netflix never really did it for me. <laughs> uh, I was that weird kid that would, like, rather listen to the radio than watch TV, so I've always, like, enjoyed the spoken word as a medium. And even now, like, I listen to podcasts. My new favorite thing is, like, iTunes U, mm-hmm. where it's, like, you can, you can get, like, university lectures online. But, like, I've always liked the medium. Of it. And I know this is, like, this is a time, like, you do the Instagram now, but I was doing right, Instagram right. back then. So I was kind of looking around, poking my nose around, like, what kind of, not just podcast, but, like, media there is out there for pole vaulters. Right, and what else we
0: could put out as a club. And, yeah.
1: and the podcast was really the niche that no one had done yet. Like, we were the first people that did it. And, like, I remember, like... We would like joke around like Joe Rogan, like we were talking about Joe Rogan podcast. Like, yeah, we should do a podcast. And I remember like the, we were having dinner at Jose Tejas one night. Yes, probably yeah. it, it was probably in August, maybe late July.
0: Quick, quick aside: Jose Tejas, great cheap food, um, but very good food, inexpensive. And then, yeah, and uh, and they have a great sign on the wall. It says "Cervezas uh, free, Cervezas mañana," but that like in, tomorrow never comes. You, you know what yeah, I'm saying? It's, it's, it's always. Yeah, it's always tomorrow. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know. Go ahead. So, so we're so having we're, our we're, Jose Tejas. We're at Jose Tejas. <laughs> and like, I'm like,
1: I'm like joking around. So it's like, when are we getting the, when are we getting the podcast off, like off the ground? And Bronco's like, I don't know. When do you think we should do it? And I'm like totally seriously. And I'm like, oh. And so I had to snap from that moment of like, oh, we're joking around about a podcast. Like, oh, we're actually doing a podcast now.
0: Well, yeah. And I remember telling you, we like actually like probably stood in the parking lot for at least like 20 minutes talking about it. And I said, look, here's the deal. If you can come up with a list of equipment that we need and, you know, how much it's going to cost, I will buy it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And Billy was very proactive. And by by the next week, he had all that information for me. He had all the equipment. Uh, by the way, we ended up having to buy more equipment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, that, that made it a little bit tougher. And to be honest, now we do it very differently. Um, we're actually using less equipment. It's more mobile, um, and it records just as well, I think. Obviously, like we're probably very low on the tech side uh, yeah. as far as podcasts are concerned. We're not on the level of some of these people that have studios, um, but it works. I, I think, you know, the sound quality is fine and, and we get our information out there. But even as far as you said, uh, yeah. podcasts as a medium, for any of you who don't know who Gary Vaynerchuk is or Gary V as is better known, I mean, he talks about it all the time, you know. Podcasts are great because you can listen to it while you're driving. You can listen to it while you're at work. You can be active and doing other things while you listen to it. And if you're not exploring podcasts, I don't know what you're doing. There's such a wealth of information, whether it's the Joe Rogan podcast or you know. And funny enough, like I've listened to the Joe Rogan podcast. If you had certain guests on, and then I start listening to their podcasts, like Sam Harris or and such, where you get all this really, really intellectual stuff, and and it's great. I mean. You, Craig, you've listened to the podcast I and mean, what do you, what, how do you feel about the podcast? Let me ask you this way. Cause me and Craig have worked together for a long time. I mean, I don't think I've ever dated a girl as long <laughs> as I've coached Craig. So how many years has it been? I think we're going on our 10th year. 10th year. 2000, uh,
2: spring of 2006.
0: I really got to get him a so good anniversary present this year. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you know, we've been together a long time, you know, coach athlete and, um, Imagine if this was out. I mean, we would have loved this when we first started, uh, you know, working together to be able to listen to some of this stuff. No, it always comes up with, you
2: know, as I've been jumping longer and longer, it comes up, man, if this was around when I was jumping, it started with, you know, pole vault clubs. Right. I can only imagine if, like, there are more pole vault clubs in the area, because there were clubs in the, like, that were open, but they were at least an hour and a half away. I can only imagine if, like, your club was open and I was, in high school, yeah, yeah. the change that would be. But now, it's, even for the people that can't get to a club, the information is getting out there even more because through social media, the podcast, mm-hmm. there's just more opportunities for people to learn.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, I for one, I'm sure you can remember there were probably times that we made silly mistakes mm-hmm. that if we had a podcast or an Instagram to follow or a website or articles. And, yeah. and you know, Polvo Power, I think, did a great job back then. Mm-hmm. But if there was even more information out there maybe we could have avoided some of the mistakes yeah. that, that we made. Um, but yeah, I, it's just, it's been a, a wonderful experience. I, I know for us too, as a club, like I just think of how great it is for all the kids at my club. Cause they've gotten to listen to people like Katarina Stefanidi, Olympic champion, Katie Najat, one of the best American female vaulters. We we've had Trey Oates who, you know, USA uh, qualifier, 18, six guy in his senior year at Sanford, uh, Trey, good luck this year with the season coming up. Um, you know, We've had all those people on. We've also had lots of coaches, lots of different uh, athletes and, and people just involved with the sport. We've had your wife, Linda, on you know, to talk about physical therapy. And so we're trying to put as much information out there um, to help the pole vault community because I, I feel like there's a really lack of knowledge in yeah. the pole vault community. You look at some other sports – that I think are done on a more professional level, it's not like this. you know. No. I, I talk about, uh, a lot of times I use analogies with other sports and other organizations, and I, one of them I always talk about is the UFC, right? ultimate fighting championships. When UFC first came out, it's funny. I, I listened to Boss Rutten, who was a former heavyweight champion in UFC, talk about how in the early stages of UFC, it was embarrassing. There were guys that just didn't train hard. They would show up to fights out of shape. And he goes. Now it's their golden time because think about how professional UFC is. I mean, you had Conor McGregor. Granted, he got a hundred million dollars for a boxing match, but you know he made a lot of money. It's like when there's money like that involved, you know, people are going to take it to the next level. They're not going to leave any um, avenue unexplored, you know. So for me, uh, one of the things that and recently, I, I don't know if you guys saw the Facebook postings on. Uh, Sean Francis posted a question on Facebook and he said, what are the top five things you'd expect out of a first year coach? And someone brought up lifting and they were saying, look, like I, I wish people would focus on flexibility and mobility before they jump into lifting. And I agreed with the person. But at the same time, I said, I really feel that in the public community, people don't look at strength and conditioning enough. They don't really hit the weights. I mean, Renaud Lovillany is deadlifting 205. And again, I'm not saying he has to lift X number. I'm not even saying he has the deadlift he can do another lift i don't, I don't know there's muli- there's so many variations in all these exercises you could pick anything you want and in fact, you probably should circle through a bunch of them and not just stick to one but you know two o five for an elite male athlete really not pushing it you know what i mean at the at the club alone we have some some high school females that you know would would be doing more than that um again not to say if you deadlift or squat or bench or pull up X weight, you're going to jump 19 feet, right? Like I have guys that actually probably lift more than Craig has at certain points, but Craig still jumps way higher than them. Now Craig is hitting some crazy numbers. So I'm really excited for this indoor season. I I think, you know, it, it should pay dividends, but I, I, I just view whether it's lifting or sprinting, plyometrics, Olympic lifts, sort you have all these tools in the toolbox, why would you not use them? Why would you say, you know what? I'm gonna just build a house with a Phillips head screwdriver? You know what I mean? Like you're gonna need more tools than that. And and, and I wish people would explore that that kind of stuff. I, and Billy, just so people know, I know mm-hmm. uh, going back to you, you know, you're now in your junior year at Ramapo College, your Division three vaulter. Billy actually came to Ramapo. He was an eleven foot vaulter in high school, mm-hmm. and now you're up to four meters, thirteen one and a quarter, looking great. I'm expecting big things this year. Um, as long as he could have that consistent first step, um, but from your perspective, looking at what you've done and what you've seen through the podcast, and just you know, ex- going down that rabbit hole of like the pole vault community, what, what, what do you think? What do you what do you see out there?
1: What do I think of the pole vault community?
0: Yeah, well, as far as training and and that le- taking it up that taking it up to that level, like how do you feel? I think that. Like let's okay let's like like talk talk about for example maybe some of the people that you've competed against or competed with who oh. maybe jump higher than you how does their training compare to yours like what are some of the thoughts that go through your head do how
1: many times have I been on a runway and be like man that dude's really small like a lot like that happened like that's a pretty common occurrence and like sure like you get like people who got like they're taller some people are quicker like, right some people, you know some people just have really freakishly smooth jumps and like you know what? that's awesome like that's a, like that. Whether that's natural talent that's a component of their training, like that shows up in good vaulters. But you have to look at those people and you have to think to yourself, why like if they branched out and explored aspects of training that they're currently not, and they, you know, took those in and they applied that to their own training methods, how much
0: better would they get? Right. Right. Yeah, because I, you know, again, I, I remember this was oh man, this was maybe eight years ago. Uh, me and Craig were in the weight room at West Milford High School. So I started coaching out of West Milford High School. And, and Craig was a guy that was in college and looking for a place to jump in the summer. And so he started jumping with me. And we're in the weight room. And, and I was doing more on the incline bench yeah. than, than Craig. And I remember Craig just being like, well, I jump higher than you. you know? mm-hmm. But my, my, my response, if you remember, what, what, do you remember what I responded with? Was it something like, what would you be jumping if you did? Yeah, more. yeah, like you should be doing yeah. more than me, and what would you jump if you did more? Yeah. And, and funny enough, that summer was the first summer that Craig ever lifted, mm. and he jumped 17.5 that year. Yeah. He, his PR went from 15.8 to 17.5, Cra- crazy. And I'm not saying it was just the lifting, I think it was various factors. Yeah. I mean, you also probably grew an inch or something that year. Yeah, and, we, changed, you know. we changed
2: our technical strategy a little bit in terms yeah. of pole selection and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It all yeah. tied in together, though.
0: Right. Right. But, and, and see that, that's what I like that you bring up that there were various components. Mm-hmm. Like if we go back to that idea of a toolbox, right? Like you have a toolbox. Sure. There's like training, there's technique. And then there's so much things that go into training. There's so much things that go into technique. It's like you, the whole toolbox come toolbox comes together to help you build that house, which is yeah. your jump. you know? And so I, I think people need to start to, to think outside of that. And it's funny going back to the Facebook postings. Uh, did you, did you read them? I skimmed through them. Yeah, did you, did you see, I didn't them? see them? Okay. So, we're going back and forth about lifting and, and such. And somebody commented, they were like, well, Sergey Bubka, you know, worked with some of the best gymnastics, gymnastics coaches in the world. So, wouldn't you agree that gymnastics is more important? You don't really need to lift. Something to that effect. Maybe they didn't mean you don't have to lift. I don't, I don't want to misquote them. But then my retort was, well, Bupka also lifted. Yeah, The person's response was, well, Renault broke his world record. That's, I mean, I don't know, you know, for people who maybe are not sure about how to debate and stuff like that, you can't use someone as an example. And then when I provide more information, say, well, that doesn't matter. This guy jumps higher, you know, and, and not, not for nothing. I already started the conversation by mentioning that Renault also lifts. I just feel like he could be pushing the numbers more. Yeah. So, you know, I, again, and. Guys, I don't know Renault Lavillany personally. I don't I don't even know. Maybe he was just warming up. I don't, I don't who knows? Maybe he's deadlifting like seven hundred pounds for all I know. I, I have no idea. But he put a video out where he was deadlifting roughly two hundred five. I look, I just think the intensity level could be pushed. The other thing that I also mentioned, and you know, this is an idea that is, is out there, you know, you need to be lifting weights that are 90% plus of your one rep max to build more fast-twitch muscle fiber, to be more explosive. And to kind of go back to what Billy was saying Mm -hmm. is, yes, there are lots of people that without lifting are super explosive. Look, there's people that have amazing central nervous systems, amazing amount of fast-twitch muscle fiber, and they're going to be explosive. They're going to jump high as is. The thing is, our whole whole Job or our whole mission is hopefully to optimize performance and keep pushing and, and do even better. You know and look, case in point, I've had athletes at my club who, you know, if you saw them physically, they look shredded. They definitely look like they lift. Then you look at their lifting numbers; they're killing it in the weights. You know, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking about a boy that jumped 12.6 for me. He was able to single leg squat or Bulgarian split squat, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think 335 for for two. Or four, not sure. Amazing work, amazing work. The kid really worked his tail off, but he only jumped twelve six. And so I think a lot of people would look at me and say, Well, Bronco, see, that kid lifted a lot and he only jumped twelve six. The thing is, this is not an explosive kid. Honestly, he had no business even jumping twelve six. He was not not that athletic. But the training and technique together combined enabled him to get to a point where he jumped twelve six, and and you know now he's jumping at a Division three school, you know, out in Cleveland. I want to say, it's is it Carson Newman? I'm I'm so wrong. I don't I don't know about this, but anyway, I mean, Carson Newman. Or- oh no no, you're right. That's Tennessee. Um, no, it's um, gosh, I can't remember. And anyway, it doesn't matter. But the point being is like. That's the thing. Like, another kid who doesn't even lift might be able to outjump him very easily, but that's because that kid is already an explosive athlete. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I actually took over the lifting program for Rampo College for the sprinters, jumpers, throwers. And I remember a sprinter coming in who, the first day we lifted, he could barely bench 135. Literally within two months, he was repping 225. very easily because people who have a lot of fast twitch muscle fiber have a very good central nervous system they they can increase their capacities very very quickly you know Mm -hmm. and then and it produces a better result when when they sprint yeah i still see him in the weight
1: room he's repping out like 265 yeah
0: insane like most ridiculous fast twitch muscle
1: you've ever seen on a person
0: yeah yeah so i i mean that's the thing like you know Fast, explosive people are fast and explosive, but now what can you do to help maximize that or push that to the next level? You know, that's what I always think about. Because I, I, and you know, uh, going back to Craig, Craig for most of his career really just jumped a lot, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of jumping. I mean, he definitely put in a lot of time, but we didn't put a lot of time in lifting and he ran a little bit, but just a lot of jumping. The thing is I've had the flip side. Michelle Favre, who was also a national champ at Rampo College and jumped 13, nine, 3 quarters, you know, she was that girl that when I first met her, she jumped 8, 6. And look, I think very naturally, like if we didn't hit the weights, she still would have jumped probably 11, 11, 6, maybe 12. even 12. But the lifting is what just took her to a different level. Like once she was able to single leg squat or Bulgarian split squat uh, 200 pounds and she was doing it at a body weight of 125 pounds, her mid marks where normally she was hitting like a 43, 44, all of a sudden turned into a 48 foot mid mark. She all of a sudden went from a 13, 55 to a 13, 7, 60, And her PR went from from like, you know, 12, ish to 13, nine and three quarters. Now this was over a span of time. It didn't happen overnight. Obviously we, we slowly progressed. It wasn't like she hit the weights one day and then that happened. But it's like, you could see where that, that brought a lot of value. She did that with training. You know, obviously we also sprinted and, you know, did multiple other things. There's more involved with that. I don't want to tell you just, just to go out there and single leg squat or just go deadlift and you're going to get awesome results. There's a lot that goes into it. But again, like, you know, looking back, it's been a little over a year since we started the podcast. It's amazing to see how, you know, even at the professional level, there seems to be some gaps. Like some people seem to be doing it right. Some people maybe seem to have at least this aspect covered, whether it's technique or lifting or, you you know, just maybe the mental game of it. I mean, I have to say when I did the Katerina Stefanidi podcast, oh my goodness. Talk about a mature, you know, kind of zoned in athlete. Like she definitely had a mission. And that's why she went undefeated this year and won the world championship after winning the Olympics, which I I think, look, in any sport, winning a championship is one thing. Coming back and doing it again is quite another. You know, can you yeah. climb that mountain again? Do you have the motivation to push further? And definitely with the Katarina podcast, so mature, so poised, um, she definitely knew what she wanted to do, you know. Um, I guess it, like going back to, to you, I mean – what, what do you think about when you reflect on your career, Craig? You know, what do you think about as far as like maybe watching some other people jump or even your own personal experiences?
2: I, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about what the information that's out there. I think that a lot more information about pole ball things out there, but what we still don't see yet from a lot of the athletes that post stuff is what their training is. Yeah, like Who knows what I would have been doing back then if we knew what some of the elites were doing?
0: Right. What right. they were
2: lifting, what they were running. Right, We didn't know that, and we still right. kind of don't know. I mean, right. how many people, how many, number one, how many of the elites are actually have a social media presence Right, and how many post what they're doing with training? I mean, you usually just see like, oh, today was a jump day. You know, I had good job at threes or whatever, but yeah. what did you do on the track afterwards? What did you do in the weight room afterwards? We right. don't know
0: that information. Right, and, it, and it's tough if it's not out there, and, and unfortunately, you know, and this is why I, I recently posted a video on Instagram. I was like, look – Look outside of pole vault. You know, we can't just stay in pole vault to get our information. We, we have to branch out and see what other people are doing. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't. They just look at the pole vault community. So it's like if I'm that high school kid and I'm a boy and I jump 11, 6, 12 and, I, you know, I love Sam Kendricks or I love whoever and I'm, I'm just going to follow what they do. And, I you know, I, I see him do some hurdle mobility and that, that's it. Like I, I'm doing what he does. Little do I know what else he's also doing, like you said. So it's like if if there's more information out there – and, you know, I remember Brad Walker a few years ago. He posted a great video. Yeah, go ahead. What did he say? I
2: I think some – this was back. I mean this was when Brad was at probably at the height of his career. Yeah. And I think someone asked him, what advice do you have to high school kids that are pole vaulting? I think they said it was – I think he said the number one thing to do is start weightlifting.
0: Yeah. And get stronger so you can get faster. Right. He said, he's like, you know, pole vault is such a fun event, which it is, obviously. Like, I mean, I own a pole vaulting club, right? <laughs> I, so it's an amazing event. It's so much fun that sometimes we lose sight of the other things we have to do to make sure that we're good at pole vaulting. You know, I, I even always talk about what always happens with, uh, you know, a lot of female gymnasts. They come from gymnastics where they're training 20 plus hours a week. They come in, they're in phenomenal shape. And so it's like their, their physical capacity, their athleticism is very high, but their skill level and pole vaulting is very low. Well, as the skill level goes up, the athleticism is going down, but we continue with PR. So the athlete and coach sometimes don't notice it. But then you hit that one point where it's like, oh, that's it. Now, if their athleticism keeps going down, that PR is going to go down even if they get more skillful. Right, Because at a certain point, if you lose that much foot speed, if you lose that much upper body strength, you 're just not going to be able to run fast enough, you're not going to be efficient enough on the pole, and you see a drop off and so it's like yeah like the, the, there's not enough information out there to to get people to understand how important training is I, I I see it a lot of times you know with college boys, you know freshman sophomore year, they're kind of done with puberty, you know they 're not naturally getting stronger and faster. And all of a sudden, you start to see them plateau and then fall off. And well, what do you need to do? You need to keep pushing physical capacities to keep increasing your PR. You know, um, obviously, you know if you have, if you don't have a good technical foundation too. I mean, sometimes more speed equals more crash at takeoff, and, yeah. and you don't get a better result. Um, heck. Do you remember, uh, you know, so going back to Craig's earlier career, he jumped 17.5. He was on a 16.5, 195, if I believe so. You were driven 15.9, I think. Yeah, around there. Yeah. And so literally, I remember being at that meet. I go, Craig, as long as we just get on the 16.5, 200, we'll jump 18. A year later, we're in Reno. Craig is on the 16.5, 200, and he jumps 16.9. And we're like, wow, that math didn't work out. <laughs> to, to be fair, though, I cleared the standard. So I think it was a little bit higher than sixteen nine. I went a little right. But, but it, just, it just goes to show if you try to force a pull or force yeah. a grip, you're going to make the jump inefficient. And now, you know, it's like, come on. That, that, that was like, for us, we fin- I remember like thinking at Reno, I was like, what the hell are we doing wrong? We, we did yeah. what, We accomplished our goal. Yeah, our goal was to get on a bigger pole, but now all of a sudden we lost the jump.
2: And and if you think about it, a couple years later, you know, when I won nationals the year after that, when I jumped seventeen eight, I think we were on technically a smaller pole. Yeah, sixteen two hundred, same grip.
0: Yeah, but but sixteen two hundred, and you were moving on the pole better. You know, so it's 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 just crazy. There's so much involved. And actually tonight, um, so we had a really big six thirty session tonight. (laughs) Kind of some people came in unannounced, and and we had a couple newbies who either jumped at a different club or jumped with their high school coach or whatever. And so they're being introduced to a slew of information. And uh, it was funny because all, like, this is also, we're towards the end of our fall session, so I'm not really doing, like, like a lot of beginner stuff anymore with people. So, you know, we're moving back on the runway. Everybody's going to further approaches. And I've got to start these guys with really basic, basic drills. And uh, it was funny seeing everybody watch me talk to them. And uh, I guess the best way I can explain it, it's like uh, if if my words were punches, they would have been knocked out. I was very verbally abusive. I didn't curse at them or anything. I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. It's not like I was mean to them. But it was just like I kept coming with facts, you know, talking about things like how fast a jump is, how important pole speed is. is the, Does the pole speed match up with the jump, you know? It, it just bringing up all this information that they really – had no answer to. Yeah, they were hit with some knowledge. Yeah. And it was funny. The, these two guys, it's so funny. They kind of matched up. They both had 12.6 PRs, and they did it with 13.6 grip. I pull them aside to my, my performance board that I have on the wall about push PRs. And I have the push PRs for high school and, and, and college slash post-collegiate. And I go over the high school girls push chart, and I'm like, look, 11 inches, 14 inches. You know, th- this is girls push. I go, guys, if you could push that, we're talking about you're 13, six guys, not 12, six guys. And that's still like, you're on the girl's end. Yeah. You're not even on the guy's end to push. And then I showed them like, look, I had a college guy, one grip higher, grip 13, nine, jump 15, nine, you know? And so it was like, they were, man, they were like, oh no. Like what? Cause I think a lot of times people really look at PR. Yep. They look at grip, they look at pull. but they're not looking at push. They're not looking at what's going on with the mid mark or their meters per second at takeoff. They're not looking at other training numbers that are either helping push those numbers forward or hurting those numbers pushing forward. And they're not connecting the dots. Like one thing I talked about today earlier in the day at a college practice was I put baby hurdles down. Guys were running through it five feet apart and then I put it six feet apart. I'm like, here's the deal, guys. The further apart these baby hurdles are getting, the faster you are running. And if I all of a sudden – if you used to be a five-foot guy and I'm like, no, no, you're good. Stay with the four feet. That means you got slower, right? So it's like all these numbers are connected and you have to monitor these numbers so that you have data that backs up whether you're getting better or worse. Because something I brought up to another practice the other day was and, – and Craig, you, you can explain this. How, as you get older, how often do you PR? Well, let's think. Uh, that
2: was 2012. Yeah. The last PR. That's five years. And – I mean, you could say what you want about situations changing. Right. I mean I you mean, got married, gone, you
0: have yeah, yeah, you have more, a daughter, there's a there's a lot of factors, but yeah. yeah.
2: As you get older, PRs get further apart. But,
0: but even once you hit seventeen five, you remember mm-hmm. it it took a couple years, years. Per, for 17, seventeen five and a half, yeah, and then it then the next year was seventeen eight. But it's like those PRs come maybe once a year. Yeah. And we're not talking about oh, six inch lucky. foot. PRs. You're talking about something that's going to take all year. So if you're not tracking your training mm-hmm. and you're not tracking your numbers, how do you know if you're getting better or worse? Exactly. You know, it's easy when you're a beginner pole vaulter, right? Like when Billy first came to Rampo, and actually, actually it was hard because we went all those meets that, that the opening bar was really, really high. But and but you had training numbers to back up mm-hmm. that, that you were getting better. But it's like when you're in high school and you're first time pole vaulting, sure, you may PR once every other week. But once that, that stops, how do you know you're getting better? You know, and actually, maybe Billy, uh, go over your freshman year. You know, coming in as an 11-foot vaulter, we're a Division three in the Northeast, so a lot of our meets open at 12-9, 13-3. What, what, what kept you motivated throughout the year, you know? Uh, the fact that I could, bl- like,
1: every meet I would blow through a different pole. And it would be like, I remember my first meet freshman year, we were at the – we're at Yale, no, I didn't jump at Yale. First meet that I jumped out, we were at the armory, and I missed all three of my attempts, and all three were blow through. So, I'm like, that's not a failure of a day, right? By any means, like, right. I'm like, we thought we should have started here, and we needed to be what three, like three, four poles up, right? So, right. that's that's by no means a failure. So, the fact that, like, I was going along through meets and I was missing bars. I remember a lot of it was blow through, so it's like okay, so that's still progress. Right. Like, I'm not, I'm not clearing a bar. So at the end of every meet, there's a no height on it. So it's like okay, that looks bad. Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna lie, that doesn't look too good. But the fact that there's like there's progress being made, like my lifting numbers are going up, jumps are like I'm starting to connect with jumps. I'm like starting to put like pretty ba- like basic concept together. I'm not. I wasn't yeah. really quick to pick up technical stuff, but. I was mm-hmm. putting basic concepts together. So there's progress. It's not – like if you looked at it from the outside, it's like, wow, man, that's us get out of a rough year. But it's like, no, I, I mean, I didn't. And like it all kind of came together at the end. and I, Yeah. And I put it,
0: and I put a good spring season together out of it. Yeah, you you end up clearing a couple bars in the spring, and you end up jumping, I think, 12-10 yeah. freshman year, which was awesome. I mean, when you think about that, I mean, you're almost talking about a two-foot PR mm-hmm. just in, in one year. But, again, now it's like – you know, when are you going to have a two foot PR again? If you're Craig, the very next year. Uh, <laughs> but then after that, even it slows down, you know, at some point it slows down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great to hear how, you know, you went through that year of no heights, but we're, we're able to see the progress that you were making, even though you were ending up with an NH at, at the end of every meet. Um, that, that's why too, a lot of times too, I, I think about it. There's so many people out there. This is what people don't realize. So many people out there that love pole vaulting so much. They might be no hiding every single meet, yeah. but they love pole vaulting so much. And they're just, they, they're trying to figure it out. Well, I, I hope we're providing the inf- information for you a little bit and helping guide you. Um, and what I'm really happy about, super pumped. I, I've actually got some phone calls from people in California, a coach from Illinois, uh, a couple emails, people contacting us wanting more information. You know, uh, I I spent probably 45 minutes on the phone with a coach from Illinois about he really wanted to know how to set up like a weekly plan. Like, what do we do on Mondays? What do we do on Wednesdays? What do we do on Fridays? You know, do we lift after practice? Do we lift the next day? You know, he wanted to know the the whole ins and outs. And I was able to answer all those questions for that guy. and, And, you know, I'm. I'm, you know, really grateful that people are actually listening to this and and getting something from it because that's why I'm doing it. I, I want I want people to have a little bit of guidance, you know. Um, what? Why don't you explain a little bit about your high school career? You, you know what I mean. So, also, just so people know, Craig is six four. Um... Well,
2: we'll be honest and say like six three. I was credited with six four, but the nurse was really short. I don't think she could see the right angle.
0: <laughs> All right, six three, six three, right? But uh maybe you want to tell people how tall you were in high school, how you ended up to become a pole vaulter, and then how you got taught to pole vault. Yeah, okay, well, let
2: me just start by saying, like, I wasn't going to be a pole vaulter in high school. Uh, my high school track coach was actually a middle school gym teacher, and I guess his way of recruiting people to the high school level, see, like, see who could do track, was he would have, like, little contests in middle school and records boards, and one of them was high jump. Yeah. I did decent with that. He pulled me aside afterwards, like, hey, you have pretty good raw form. Why don't you come do a high jump next year in high school? Sure, why not? Heard about the workout for everyone but pole vaulters the day that pole vaulting was starting. It was a real brutal one. And I kind of said, all right, coach, I'm going to go try pole vault. And it kind of stuck. This
0: is why everybody thinks pole vaulters are lazy. (laughs) That's why. (laughs) I I fed into the
2: stereotype there. But, I mean, my sophomore year in high school, I remember it well because I was – on the football team, I had no business being on the football team because I was 5'5", 108 pounds. I remember I had to give that number does for the that, Does that
0: not just scream out stud? <laughs> oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, my freshman year, it took me the whole year to jump seven feet. Uh, okay. Sophomore year, I jumped 9'6". Junior year, I jumped, I think it was 11 or 11'6". 11, and then the third, my last year, I hit my growth spurt. And I remember my coach bought me a pole at the beginning of the year. It was a 14-165. I was probably maybe 5'10", foot, 160 pounds. But mm-hmm. I had no coach, and I didn't know what I was doing. Right. So I was pretty much stri- stiff-pulling all of indoor. Yeah. I stiff-pulled 12 feet, and I was happy about that. And something funny at one meet happened outdoors. The standards had to go from 15 and a half to 30. Which you can't even do anymore. It has to be 18 Exactly. Now, yeah. That's how old I am. Yeah.
0: <laughs> to, to thirty, so then I started blowing through poles. What was it like landing in sawdust, Greg? I'm joking. Yeah, I'm thanks, joking. Not that, that old. Thanks. <laughs>
1: thanks. Appreciate that one. You're,
0: you're older, so
2: um, I,
0: I'm, I'm prettier.
2: <laughs> <debatable>. Um <laughs> Yeah. So you know, the, my high school they couldn't really afford to buy me a new pole, so uh, my dad bought me a pole, and it was actually.
0: That's a fourteen sixty five to a fourteen six eighty. So what is that up? How many pounds wow, is that? That's a lot. So fourteen six eighty would be the equivalent of a, a fourteen ninety. Yeah, so it's only, <laughs> only up what like, five, five. Thirty pounds, pounds. Thirty pounds, yeah. Yeah.
2: So uh and then PR went up by a foot and jumped thirteen six
0: and came second at sectionals. Yeah. And then a year later, I see this guy trying <laughs> to coach my athletes at a meet. And I'm like, yep. don't talk to him. <laughs> and then for some reason, I started to chat with him at sectionals. And I was like, ah, you should come jump at our place. Yeah. And then okay. I guess they say the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I mean, again, like, you know, think about how many people are out there similar to your situation and they yeah. never hook up with a coach, Yeah, you, you know. So, yeah. I, I mean, imagine that. Imagine if you ended up just... You didn't jump with me, and maybe you would have jumped like fifteen or something mm-hmm. at some point, and then and then what?
2: Oh no, I you definitely know? wouldn't be jumping at this point. I know that, and yeah. But that's also because I, I hate to keep saying it, it's just the information out there. Like I had no idea there was even post collegiate track, right? Or unattached football. Team. I remember because I bounced around schools at the beginning, going to schools I caught their track team, or it just wasn't a good fit. Yeah. And I could still jump in college meets. I right. never would have imagined that. Yeah, because I had never heard of anyone doing
0: that. Yeah, yeah. We man, we would drive to to Bucknell, two and a half hours. We'd wake, up, wake yeah. up at six o'clock in the morning, and then I remember one time uh, there was a huge snowstorm, <laughs> so I I couldn't see the parking spots, and I park and. Craig just had a great day. PR jumped yeah. 16-9. Yeah, that was, that was I awesome. was super pumped. And I'm walking out. And to, as I'm walking out, go to ahead. To
2: to interrupt you, we would have left that meet a lot earlier. But, uh, but wanting to put out good information. Basically yeah. held a clinic for all the other colleges that were yes, there. Especially, yes,
0: yes. Uh, yeah, Cheryl had me do, yes. do. Cheryl was coaching at Bucknell at the time. Uh, uh, oh, my goodness. Um, what the heck is Cheryl's last name? I feel terrible right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Anyway, so sh- Cheryl Meisner, yes, there you Meisner. go. So Cheryl Meisner is coaching Bucknell at the time. Which, by the way, she started, She took up pole vaulting, I believe, in her late 40s, early 50s, and like jumped 10, like right away, like stud athlete. Um, I remember feeling guilty eating a cupcake in front of her one time because <laughs> yes. she just talked about how she didn't finish all 20 of her 200s. Um, so anyway, but Cheryl's coaching at Bucknell and she asked me to like show some stuff to her kids. And so I, I went through this whole kind of clinic. Like and, you and, and, said, But it
2: wasn't just the Bucknell kids. I think uh, like three or four different schools were listening. Yeah.
0: To yeah. To you. So um, it, it was a really <laughs> cool experience. I mean, that, that's the thing too. It's like still to this day, it's like experiences like that along the way, mm-hmm. like motivate me because I, I know there's people that want the information and when they hear good information, they know it. Yeah. regardless you know what I mean mm-hmm. so you know that was awesome and so now I'm walking out I feel great Craig PR'd I just put on this coaching clinic basically I'm walking out of the facility and I, think I, and I see yeah Craig I sees the t- tow truck <laughs> towing my car because I happen to park a couple feet too close to a fire hydrant I literally sprinted down the street to try to stop the tow truck and I didn't get there <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah didn't you say the tow drive- the tow truck driver said he saw you and he just didn't want to stop for you, yeah oh my goodness what yeah so, so basically the the high of PRing went to a oh great, we're <laughs> stuck at Bucknell three
0: hours away from home and already six o'clock yeah, but anyway, but you know stories like that you laugh about it years later, you know um gr- you know great stuff uh but yeah like i I guess that that's the thing is like just putting out the information um I, I guess a couple things. Uh, Billy, have you noticed the Walter Magazine contest, the videos that have been posted? Yeah, those are brutal. Yeah. Those are brutal. Why? Why? I, I mean, not, I don't even have like an end, it, just why? Yeah, I mean, most of the videos, and, and I'm not trying to bash Walter Magazine at all, but it's just most of the videos are fail videos slash just not good jumps no but like that, that'd be like the NFL after that after that
1: movie with Will Smith came out but like hey man like this is like the top 10 this kid concussion definitely yeah
0: oh my goodness you,
1: you're gonna want to see number four yeah that's a doozy
0: yeah I mean it, it's so crazy and like don't get me wrong I listen people love fail videos in every sport and I totally get it like right like a lot of people watch NASCAR because they want to see the car crash right yes. like I, I totally get it but I feel like if you look at some other sports like powerlifting right, or Olympic lifting, if you are posting that many fail videos or if you are posting crappy form or technique, you will get a slew of contents, uh, comments ripping you apart. Povo is like the only one where it's like, dude, you watch a video, the kid is jumping like a foot below their grip and nobody says anything. Yeah. Everybody's like, good job, awesome run. It's like... And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to bash anybody. We were, all, we were all beginners at some point. We were all trying to figure stuff out. But it's like, instead, we should be doing that. Like, we need to be promoting, what is a good jump? How do you get to a good jump? What are the skills? What are the drills that you need to do to get there? Not post fail videos and... win a t-shirt for. Yeah, yeah. win a t-shirt for. Well, it. I feel like pole vault doesn't have...
1: Like, in sports, there's, like, serious injury, and then there's bloopers. And in pole
0: vault, I feel like there's not... A lot of – Yeah,
1: there's very, very little wiggle room.
0: Yeah. Um, And and so going off of that, you know what's something that I I noticed too is lately a lot of people posting video – and this used to be so frowned upon back in the pole vault power days. Do you remember? Becca would post about this, about you know don't tap. Yeah. Don't tap. Right, So for anybody who doesn't know, tapping is when a coach or another athlete stands close to takeoff, and as you take off, they actually push you either your mid to lower back, and they kind of help push you forward into the pit, right? so I even
2: saw one ahead. recently of people pulling the pole at takeoff too.
0: Oh, yanking the pole forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, look, this is how I view it, and, and I want to know what you guys think. But my thing is watching people get tapped – That's kind of, and then people post this, they're like, oh, great day jumping from a five. Uh, I was gripping 14 on 1580. And then you watch the jump and the guy's getting tapped. That's kind of like if I benched and I like, let's say I'm like, oh, awesome day benching. I did 225 for eight. But then you see Billy literally put his hands on my bar and spot me for the last four reps. So, like, I didn't really do 225 for 8 at that or, point.
2: Or just to bust some chops here, have people uh, with their butt off the bench setting
0: records. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm s- calling you out, Dan. I'm sorry, Ooh. Dan Reynolds. <laughs> so some of my kid, kid people are offended by that. Uh, but, any, but anyway, so, what, I mean, what do, you, what do you guys think? Like, wh- I mean, I'm giving you an example of why I think tapping, as far as what you did in practice with tapping, I don't think is legit. But what do you think, from an athlete's perspective, what's the drawback of getting tapped? What do you think are some negatives? And if you think there's positives, tell me positives.
2: I mean, Billy, I'll let you go first. Okay, let's because go back. You, really, I mean, you haven't really uh, experienced it yet, so I kind of want to hear your opinion. On
0: it. My, okay, I'm, I'm going to kind
1: of go back to this idea of what was talking about, like a toolbox. Like You have a bunch of these tools that are kind of relevant to help you build a better jump. And I don't – like my thing is like let's picture this kind of like a bullseye and pole vaulting is the middle. And the further away you get, the less applicable to pole vaulting that it is. So if pole vaulting is the bullseye, you have stuff like running mechanics, weightlifting,
0: plyometrics, gymnastics. That I, stuff's oh, close to me. Okay, but to, to be fair, like let's say deadlifting. That's yeah. not necessarily anything to do with pole vaulting, but you're training yeah. the muscle groups that need to get stronger mm-hmm. so you can do stuff – but go, go ahead. Yeah, i to so, let so, you finish. So, so
1: Beyonce have one of the greatest music videos of all time. So anyway, the, so, the furth- <laughs> so the further, <laughs> the so, further way the, so the further, continue. So the further way balling. you get from this bullseye, like the less and less related it gets to pole. Like it'd be like if you say, "Well, pole vaulting requires timing." So Bronco, I'm gonna go hit the batting cages real quick because it work on my timing. You know what I mean? Well, right. That's the wrong kind of timing. So, sure. But, so, but. It, it, but like, then you get out of the realms of tools that you think are in the toolbox, but really aren't. Because like, tap. Like, think about this. Tapping doesn't prepare you to do any for you for anything that you're going to be doing in a competition. Your coach isn't going to be there tapping you into the pit in a competition. Correct. So there's no carryover. And I have the same opinion about people who use like the slide boxes. The box isn't going to move in a competition. Why are you doing slide box drills? Like, I don't
0: see. I don't see the benefit of it if there's not that carryover into applicable situations being so I think just to clarify what what you just said I mean yes your coach is not going to be there to tap you in the competition so just like as in the lifting you know it's like if you were a power lifter and you're getting spotted all the time for your bench you're probably not going to be able to hit that weight at the meet you know so same similarly speaking it might and again I get it at a meet you have more adrenaline you know all that stuff but it's Probably going to be difficult to hit that pole like that when you know you have a crutch of of someone tapping you. Exactly. Um, but what, what what about you, Craig? I mean, because I mean, you have experienced taps. Like Billy's never been tapped. He's he's jumped here at, at Apex, mm-hmm. and so he he's been in our system where I just I don't tap people. But you know, back in the day, you know, when we've been in some other places and mm-hmm. done some other stuff. I mean, you've been tapped for sure. I've been tapped. You know, I have tapped you athletes. Tapped me. Yeah. I've, I've tapped athletes. You know, what What do you What do you think? Are there any benefits? Are there any drawbacks? I mean, just be open.
2: I mean, for the common, I don't want to say common pole vaulter, but for the uh, average pole vaulter, high school, even college, I'd say no. I'm not saying I agree with it. Like, I would not want you to tap me at all. Yeah. Um, but, it, like you said, it's a crush. I think it gives – a lot of kids, a lot of false confidence. And going from experience, there was a pole that we used to jump on a lot. And the only way I would get on it in practice or even in some very low-key meets, I'd get tapped.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Go to Reno. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually kind of an embarrassing story because the whole uh, theme of that Reno poleball summit that year was pole speed. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, it was when Al Wander was there yep. and, and they had beginner to book which – By the way, I mean, talk about timing. Like, Mm. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that Maxwell – Max Gladwell book, um, uh, Outliers. And he talks about success and how a lot of it is timing. Like, some of the richest people in the history of the planet were actually born – or were at an age where they could capitalize on the industrial Mm -hmm. revolution, right? And I just – Look, similarly, I feel so fortunate that I was going to Reno when Alan Launder was there, Beginner Bupka was there, Rick Addig was presenting. He's an yep. incredible coach. And uh, we actually had Jason Church on the podcast who worked with Rick Addig. But, um, you know, just hearing all that great stuff where I, I, I'm sorry to say, I, I mean, the last couple of times I went to Reno, some of the presenters, I was just not a lot of information. You know, it wasn't as informative. But yeah, they were talking about pole speed. And now here you are, you're jumping at your pit.
2: Yeah. And it, it's... Uh, we were starting on a pole lower, and I don't know what it was that day. I don't know if it was just being...
0: Jet lagged or something.
2: Jet lagged or just being like a surreal situation, being in Reno, being Yeah, being a little nervous, yeah. Nervous, yes. But take my first jump on, on that smaller pole, come down the crossbar. I think we moved the standards in maybe five centimeters, cam on the crossbar. So we just talked to someone else, and... Basically, the words were "Let's bring the standards in all the way and, and go up
0: a pull, go yeah. up and
2: get over it." Because in practice and in the low key meets, I'd be tapped and I'd put a lot of height over these bars, yeah, and I'd clear them. Sure enough, that wasn't the case that day. Came down and landed in the box, yeah, and I hurt my ankle that day, yeah. And
0: you you were fortunate enough not to have a super serious injury. I mean, you didn't, you didn't break any bones or anything.
2: No, but it, it was one of those things where I think that had we not been doing all the tapping I probably wouldn't have had that kind of false confidence like yeah I could definitely get on this pole no problem
0: yeah yeah no I I mean so you definitely from this conversation can maybe hear some of the pitfalls of tapping the other thing that I would like to add in is you know Billy talked about timing I think when you get tapped it kind of screws up your timing yes the tap is helping you get into the pit but you're not hooking up with the jump you're not going to get into a handstand you're not going to be super efficient Um, and You're definitely, that's not going to be the timing that you have when you actually jump without a tap in a meet, you know? Um, The other thing, going back to what you said, I think, yeah, there are some situations perhaps with with a high level athlete where maybe they're getting tapped to help them get on a little bit longer, bigger pole in practice. And look, those are professional athletes that are doing something that's not normal. Like, for example, at the club, obviously I teach a high pole carry with a drop. You know, you jump up at takeoff. I have had athletes who are having such difficulty planting the pole that I have them leave the pole tip on the ground, push the pole, and jump like that. I don't think that's the way you want to do it, but sometimes I've done that because they're having such difficulty with the plant, and I'm trying to get them to feel takeoff a little bit better. And then once they have a better jump, because you, you, literally you'll see it, and I remember Chris Allison of Lone Star Pole Bowl in Texas. Chris had a girl that was jumping like eleven eleven six. 11 6 switched her to a pole pusher, and the girl ended up jumping 13-13-6 and winning a state title, right? So, I mean, sometimes it's just someone's having a real problem with, with carrying the pole. But once they feel a better jump, then I'll put, put them back to planting the pole because now they know what the jump is supposed to feel like and they know how important the plant is to it. You know, so, I mean, sometimes you do things that are, let's say, a little bit out of the ordinary to kind of you know, get someone from point A to point B. But I think as if we're talking in general terms, I don't think tapping is something that you want to be doing all day at practice. The other thing from a coaching perspective, if you're standing at takeoff, tapping people in, you're going to have a tough time seeing the jump, seeing the run and making adjustments, yeah. you know? And
2: especially cause then going off that point. So say you're a coach and you want a kid tapped, but you want to be able to see the jump. You have someone else tap, Right. Right. I mean, I've tapped. I mean, I remember tapping yeah. kids at West Milford to get on your fourteen one
0: twenty five. Oh um, man, that's like, that's like, <laughs> oh my god, that's like an embarrassing song that you listen to. Yeah, like, 14, I can't believe I ordered that for a boy. Anywho. Yeah. he was a freshman and he was little. He did weigh yes. one twenty five. Anywho, but I mean, there were times I'd miss. So now
2: you, you're tapping someone to get them into the pit, but you missed tapping them. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you do there? Uh, yeah. You hope the kid doesn't land in the box
0: or on the runway. Right, right. And and you know what? That That's so funny. And I feel like we need to do a podcast about just, uh, you know, kind of safe and unsafe. He's writing it down. That's why he's talking like that. Yeah, this. sorry. Pole vault practices. Because um, even Billy brought up like slide box and. Sure, there may be some benefit of the slide box, but I feel like especially with young vaulters, like, yeah, what about that kid who comes down, hits the box and right on his back? Uh, Cost-benefit analysis, I'm going to go with we don't need to do slide box. You know, I mean, again, I'm talking in general terms and, you know, kind of seeing bigger picture, but yeah, you know, a tap in that kind of situation, forget about it. Now, now you missed a tap, that kid's coming back down, you know, that's, that's rough. You know, I'd rather have a kid on, a, and this is what I really, really believe. And this is why I think a lot of our athletes at the club have such aggressive runs. And, and then I got to go back to something else that you said, but we put people on grips and pulls they can handle. Yeah. And then once they completely blow through, they move up. But that's why they're always so confident on the runway because they're not getting rejected. I mean, I remember Chris Chapel from UCS Spirit. Uh, talking to me and he, Chris asked, he's like, Bronco, how often have you had kids land in the box at your club? And I listen, never, mm-hmm. you know, never. Um, and I'm talking about during the jump, Matt Sally walking out of the mats <laughs> and then kind of <laughs> tripping on the box. That's different. But during the jump, people don't land in the box, you know, it, it's, no. and it's funny. Even this weekend I had a, a kid come up, he's a high school senior, um, looking to go to Cornell He came from Binghamton, New York. So he drove two and a half hours to come to practice, you know, to, to kind of work on some stuff. And he was shocked at how, like to us, it's so common, but it's like jump after jump. Kids are right down the middle. Kids are wrapping bungees that are way above their grips, you know, and, and they're smooth jumps. Nobody's going into the standard. Nobody's getting rejected. These are just not common occurrences here. Like the people that doesn't happen, you know, and, and that's why, that's why I think people run so aggressively. At, at the club. Um, I, I want to go back to what you said too. You know, as far as, you know, being at Apex and, and this club and, and going back to something that I started with it and saying taking pole vaulting to a more professional level as a sport. I'm not talking about professional athletes right now. I'm saying our sport becoming more professional. Like you said, people don't even know that they can jump post Yeah. How many pole vaulters do we lose to CrossFit? to powerlifting, to 5Ks. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, But, you know, and no offense to distance runners, but just come on. A pole vaulter is doing 5Ks. So why do we lose these athletes to this? Because we're not taking it to a professional level. We're not offering competitions to them often enough, and they don't know if there's places to train. You you know, and the thing is, like, and there's clubs out there that don't take post-collegiate vaulters. Here at my club, we take everyone. You know, that that and, and you know, uh, Joe Oliveri, who's been on the podcast, he just started like a fitness Instagram and he's been asking for my mission statement, you know, and I've been thinking about this and, you know, um, recently I was in Ohio for the Elite FTS Stronger Business Summit. For those of you that don't know, please just do yourself a favor and just Google Elite FTS. They're an equipment supply company. Um, they have some of the great, greatest strength and conditioning and lifting equipment uh and tools, you know, that you can get and great prices. Um but the biggest thing that Elite FTS does, and what I think actually makes them such a great supplier of string and conditioning equipment, and uh I am not sponsored by them, by the way, uh, is that they give so much free advice. Dave Tate, who is a powerlifter himself, trained at Westside Barbell, which Westside Barbell has broken over 140 world records in the powerlifting world. Um Dave Tate has so much incredible content. Him as and, and so many other contributors to that website provide so much information, whether it's just training plans or just ideas and all kinds of depth. They have articles that are just funny, you know, some some guy kind of blogging to very, very scientific stuff, you know. So I went to the Elite FTS Stronger Business Summit and they had some of the really best gym owners in the country, and uh, one of them was JL. And JL has a gym in Ohio, and he was talking about how originally, you know, he opened this gym, he had 20,000 square feet, and he had over $200,000 worth of equipment, and he thought he was doing well. And he had this one guy come in as a as a personal training client, and um, he was kind of a wealthy guy, and, and he asked JL, he's like, how much does all this equipment cost? And JL was kind of like puffing his chest down, He's was like, ah, $200,000. And the guy goes... That's it. Mm -hmm. And that was the turning point for JL. And I really, you know, that kind of spoke to me that weekend. Because JL said, he's like, I thought that was a big deal. And the guy turns to me, that's it. And he goes, you should have four of these gyms. You know, and that that changed his mind about running his gym more like a business. Mm -hmm. And not just, like, guys, it's not just about, like, I I don't want to make it sound greedy. It's not Mm -hmm. just about making more money. It's about the fact that the bigger this sport is, the more that we run it on a professional level, the more people that can be a part of this and appreciate this and, and discover what we all know that this is an amazing sport, you know? So like for me, even like the more people I can have join apex, the more people I can share this sport with, you know, that's how I think about it. And even the podcast, the more people that listen to this podcast, the more people that I can share this with, It, it gets me super pumped. Like I know even on the Instagram, like I have a little over 600 followers, which is not that big of a deal. Like I know the Kardashians are way more popular than me, but to me, it's like amazing. Like, I have about hundred athletes at the club. It's like, I have six clubs on Instagram, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is awesome. You know what I mean? It's like the, all those people get to hear, you know, what I have to say and, and, and spread this information out. And, um, JL took it to the next level. And one of the things that he talked about was a mission statement. You know, and he goes, originally his logo was like kind of a silhouette of himself and JL was also West Side Barbell, um, a powerlifter. And I just, I, you know, I don't want to say his first name wrong or his last name wrong. I'm sorry. I just want to look him up real quick. JL Holdsworth, right? So JL Holdsworth, it was a silhouette of him and it was his mantra or mission statement was something like, you know, elite class training for the elite athlete. Right. And he said he was on this trip with a bunch of business guys. And one of them was like, look, JL, I got to meet you here on this trip. I love you. And I'm going to start bringing my kids to your gym, but I got to be honest, your logo and your mission statement are horrible. And he's like, ego, his ego got in the way. He's like, no, I think it's great. So he stood up. He asked the whole table full of like uh, business guys. Hey, this guy says my, you know, my mission statement, and my logo is bad. What do you guys think? Every single one of them told him it was bad. And that's like, I want to kind of bring this moment to the pole vault community. Guys, we got to check our egos. We got to check our egos. All of us are fighting over stupid stuff. Like, honestly, sure, there's people that coach differently than me. I obviously believe in what I believe. But listen, it's all good. Like you coach your way, I'll coach my way. If you see something that I like, like going back to that toolbox, mm-hmm. if you see something that I'm doing that might work in your your school, your club, your, your philosophy, take it. And sometimes I see people from other philo- uh, philosophical backgrounds as far as technique is concerned doing something that I'm like, wow, I can take that and use that here. You know, you got to have an open mind. Check your ego. But what's the mission statement? Well, JL changed his logo and JL then made his mission statement bringing great training to everyone, something to that effect. And that's the thing. Like, I I feel like what's really important, we need to bring this sport to everyone. Because sometimes, like, when I hear some professional athletes talking, or I use that term professional athlete loosely, like some of these professional pole vaulters that you guys know about, they're not really professionals. They need to have a full-time job. They need to do something else to kind of support their career. And the thing is, like, they're, they're so consumed with, well, how can a professional pole vaulter get more money? And that is important. But the thing is, until pole vaulting gets bigger, there's not going to be a lot of money for those, those quote-unquote professional pole vaulters. I mean, going back to UFC as an example. Early UFC, I'm sure those fighters that were fighting on pay-per-view events weren't getting paid much. There were no Conor McGregors back then. Nobody was making millions of dollars fighting UFC. It took years and years of the sport getting popular for it to get to that level where the athletes can make a good dollar, you know? But it's like we we need to expand this and share this with everyone. You know, I, I remember one time being on pole vault power, and I don't know if you remember th- uh, this, Craig. Um, and Billy, you certainly don't know this, but Jim B. Miller, you met at Tennessee. Yeah. Jim B. Miller posted something on pole vault power and said only the best athletes should pole vault and I commented on that. I said, "Jim, like I, I agree. I would love to only work with the best athletes on the track team, but unfortunately, I get what I get. My head coach not giving me that, that kid that's going to be good at the 100, 200, 400 or 400, 800, right? Even though I know I could easily make them a state champ in the pole vault and they're going to have to struggle to get to state groups in those events. But like you don't always get that. And here's my thing. It doesn't matter. This is an enjoyable sport. Like, look, if whether you're clearing 9 feet or 19 feet, it's still fun. I, and, and I don't know if people know my story. I don't know if I mentioned it on the other podcasts. Billy, you probably would know better than me. But, like, I only jumped 10-6 in high school. I've jumped 14 since I started coaching. But, um, you know, I only jumped 10.6 in high school. But I had a blast. I was not turning, my pole didn't bend, I was flying through the air like a squirrel, and then, boof, face-planting probably on the mat. But it was a blast. So whether you're jumping 9 or 19, this is an awesome sport, and we need to bring this to as many people as possible. I remember one time, um, Bob Fraley, who actually started the Reno Pole Vault Summit, was like talking about, he's like, you should have 35 kids in your high school pole vaulting. How amazing would that be? You know? And, and that. That's kind of what I want to see. I'd, I'd, I'd love to to see that happen f- for our sport, you know, grow in that demand. Because then long term, that's where then we can maybe have a professional class uh, of athlete. And what could the marks be at that point?
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's funny. You said you don't want to be greedy and have, yeah. not make all the money on that. But in this case, I, I hate to quote Wall Street, but greed, <laughs> greed is good. Think about it. The more that you can make from this club, that's the more you can put back into the club. Right. And, and not for nothing. I mean, a lot of club owners, if you want to call them that, or club coaches, how many of them close up because they can't support themselves on it? Or how many of them are doing that just as club coaching as a part-time job if right. That or just supplemental income? If there's more clubs that can actually turn a profit, that's more
0: that they can put back into the sport as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I, I think even, you know, thinking back to our Reno trip a few years ago, Rick Baggett, who is the coach at the Willamette Striders Club, you know, had Tommy Skipper who was an eighteen-three guy in high school. Like he said to me, he's like, Bronco, listen, I get it. You're a nice guy. You want to help people. And I do. To this day, I'm that's still me, you know, and, and we could go through examples of things that I do for people, but that's not the point. He said, if you want to continue helping people, you need to stay in business. If your club goes bankrupt, you can't help anyone. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. Yeah. Like what you're saying, like greed is good. I don't know about greed, but I, I get what you're saying. Cause I even think about Gary V. right? Like Gary V. he's this entrepreneur. He's a real straight shooter, uh, a lot of F bombs. So anybody who's offended by curse words, probably don't want to watch Gary V. stuff. But Gary V. says it all the time. He's like, look, like, for him and and I agree. For me, even he's like he's so he hustles so much business wise just to keep growing his businesses to be able to put out more for people. Like he puts out a lot of free content as well. Like I actually I, I got a crazy opportunity. You know, one of my athletes, uh, Marley Sabatino, she's a school record holder up at Harvard. She she messaged me the one day. She's like, "Yo, Gary V is gonna be speaking in New Jersey." And I couldn't pass up the opportunity. You're going to think I'm crazy. I paid $500 to go see this guy talk, but really he was talking for free because he was giving everyone who paid the $500 two cases of wine, his wine that he sells. So you were paying for the wine and got a free talk. I mean, I'm not that big of a wine drinker, but Hey, I will say if you get the competitor wine from Gary V delicious. Um, but like what an awesome opportunity. And, and I got to hear him talk and that's, that's the thing for me. It's like, Look, I'm not trying to like, you know, get rich and buy a Ferrari or something like that. No, I just just want to have a a business that is good and can provide as many people an opportunity to learn and become a part of the public community, you know? I I mean, Billy, like, you know, you've been on some of these trips and you've been a part of some of these podcasts. I mean, what, you know, what's, what's your feeling, you know, about some of this stuff? Like, you know... How, how do we help grow this sport? You know, and it, you know, it's interesting because you know I think your perspective is important. You know, you're a young kid, you're a junior in college, mm-hmm. you are part of the demographic that is the biggest demographic in pole vault, right? Is yeah. is these young kids, and like, you know, what do you think is missing? Because even tonight, the the couple new guys that came in, they didn't dude, Guys, listen, I had two new vaulters come in, they're freshmen in college, they did not know who Sean Young was. Who else didn't they know? You didn't want to ask them about Sergei Bubka. Yeah, I didn't want to ask about Sergei Bobka. They didn't know later I asked they didn't know who Sergei Bubka was, but they didn't know who Vitaly Petrov was. Um, I asked them if they followed Volter magazine on Instagram, they said no. Like there there's a huge amount of pole vaulters that don't even follow any pole vault stuff. Like what what do you what do you think needs to be done to kind of grab your generation?
1: See, I, I I might not be the best person to ask for this because we did the first or the first like podcast. It was Roman Bacharnikov and Jim B Miller. Dude, you threw me into the deep end. Like I went, we went from talking about we went from talking about a podcast and Jose Tejas to like not even a month later, we're on a fifteen hour or yeah, twelve 15, hour, 12, twelve hour, twelve.
0: I mean, twelve hour drive to Tennessee. I mean, yeah,
1: twelve for me. I slept, but um, go ahead.
0: And and to me, you know.
1: Olympic pole vaulting coaches. Like, I've really got thrown into the deep. Like, I can't, I, that's the only way I can describe it. Right. So, I mean, unless you want to, unless you like every new kid that comes to the
0: club, like, all right, we're going to Tennessee. Well, right. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be well, awesome. Well, I, th- I think you bring up uh, an important point right there. We need to make these people more accessible. Yeah. You know, th- we need more access to some of these professional coaches and athletes. Like, we need to know them you know, that, that's kind of the thing that's missing. Like, it's always shocking to me. Okay. Everybody talks about, oh, well, pole vaulting, track and field, it's not that popular. Last time I checked, powerlifting is not the biggest sport in the world. Like there's, is, is you ever see it on ESPN? No. Like we get some TV time, mm-hmm. but yet the powerlifting community, like most of those people have over a hundred thousand, 200,000, 300, sometimes 500,000 followers, Mm-hmm. Because they make themselves accessible like if you follow some of these power lifters, you almost feel like you know who they are You, you know what I mean? Whereas the pole vaulters and the pole vault coaches. Oh my goodness Like where are they you're hiding? Yeah, you know what I mean? We have no idea what you're like You know, we have no idea what your training is. We have no idea what technical model you jump We have no idea what kind of a person you are, you know, you have no no presence, you know And the thing is yeah, you're right. You got to meet those people have dinner with them, and you're like, "Wow, pole vault people are cool." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that, I think that's an interesting point: is that getting getting this commu- making our pole vault community more accessible to everyone. That that's what's important, you know. And it, and uh, I guess just to end, um, even even that Sean Francis uh, post on Facebook where we're arguing about lifting a little bit. Sean Francis was like, look, we need to stop this. Like, this is, you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. Exactly. And this is just a back and forth. And what I said to Sean, I said, no, I think this was super valuable. Our back and forth, people are being educated through this conversation. We need more of those talks. I mean, heck, I can't tell you how much I learned in the early pole power days when Alan Launder and DJ Daryl Johnson would go back and forth, back and forth. And I was like, ooh, good point, ooh. Nice point. Better point. Even better point. Yeah, you know, that that's how I learned to coach. You know, through through some of that, and and so I think just just making it more accessible. You know, I, I think that that's a good good way to end this podcast. And look, that's what we're trying to do for everybody. Is hopefully, make this more accessible. Um, hopefully, we'll get another podcast up soon. I think even to this podcast, we we brought up some topics that I think we can explore on, like safe and unsafe pole vault practices. Um, you know, what are some maybe good drills, bad drills, you know, stuff to talk about like that. Um, yeah, th- this was awesome. Uh, I just, you know, Billy, thank you for kind of bringing up the idea of the podcast. Thanks for being on tonight. And thank Craig, you. thank you also for being on tonight. It's eleven fifty-two PM. This was an hour and 10 minute long podcast and, and Julia didn't get to hug her dad. Goodbye or yeah. good night tonight. So Ouch. I feel bad, but, uh, but tell her I said, Sorry. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, I'm sure she'll comprehend that. Yeah, just be like the bearded guy. She likes my beard. <laughs> you mean Santa? <laughs> Alright, it's not that long. Alright, thanks again, guys.